So I first learned meditation in 1975. I was 20 years old and I was a junior in college and my roommate was a meditator. And every day I would watch him meditating. You know, I mean, this was uh, the time when it was sort of coming off of the Beatles and the Maharaji and, you know, meditation was kind of cool. Uh, my roommate was a very earnest meditator. He was this really tall guy named Ed, a very dear friend. He was about 6'3", and he had a huge afro. He was a white guy, but he had this huge red afro. It was gigantic. And he used to wear a dashiki, you know, and he had a felt painting on the wall of a deer, a velvet painting on the wall. Uh, and every day he would sit in this big chair that we had in our dorm room and he would meditate. And I was like, that is really cool. You know, so I got him to teach me to meditate. Uh, right from the beginning, it was something I was really interested in. And he was actually pretty good at kind of showing me the basics and how to meditate. Uh, and, uh, you know, I would meditate, particularly at that time, fairly frequently. And then for a few years, I would meditate, uh, maybe not every day, but quite a lot. Uh, and then at some point, you know, as I got into my life, my adult life, uh, I let go of the meditation. I stopped meditating. At the age of 35, so this is 1990, uh, I kind of hit a, an emotional, spiritual, physical uh, bottom uh, uh, where I was uh, really suffering in my life, uh, had had some success in the corporate world, had been married, and I was divorced, and but none of it had brought me any great satisfaction. And as the years had gone by, I'd gone more and more into unhappiness and despair and suffering. And I was looking for a way out of that, you know? I was looking for a way out of that, and I remembered the times when I meditated. I remembered my college roommate, Ed, who I hadn't seen in several years. And uh, that's when I started this practice of meditation in 1990. I remember when I got back into it, it was very powerful just the first few times I sat down on this cushion. I began to remember what was important to me in this life, which I had forgotten. You know, I had spent all these years uh, trying to find happiness in the ways of the world and in my job, in different kinds of relationships. Uh, you know, we talk about the ways of the world, the pleasures of the world, the sense pleasures, the financial gains, the uh, the possessions, the material things, the status, the praise, you know, had looked for years and years and sought for happiness in those things uh, and never really found it. Uh, And I sat down to meditate and it was just me sitting on the cushion and I experienced uh, a peace and a happiness that I hadn't felt in many, many years. And, you know, I connected to what I would call my goodness, that which, that about me which was good 
inside of myself. I'd always been looking outside of myself, outside of myself for that which was good. I had always been looking to do certain things in order to validate myself or to prove myself. You know, and I sat down to meditate and I realized that all my goodness was right there inside of me. You know, and I had a really clear sense of that, you know, after all those years looking outside and doing all these things and then coming inside and looking inside and it was right there. I remembered my goodness. You know, and what I connected to inside of myself is something that we all have inside of ourselves. We all have this goodness inside of ourselves. It has to be developed and it's developed through our actions, but we all have as human beings this goodness that's our birthright, that's inside of ourselves. And really it's all that we need uh, for happiness in this life. And it really is what will bring us happiness in this life. About seven or seven years or so after I started meditating again, uh, I realized that you know, if I was going to really develop this practice, which had become really so important for me, I was going to really need to do it with other people. And there wasn't anything in New York at the time uh, in terms of meditation centers. So uh, I decided to start a meditation center, New York Insight Meditation Center. Got together with a few other people, and during the summer of 1997, we started this center. Uh, we had our first sitting on December 7th, 1997, over on 53rd Street at the Quest Bookshop. Was anybody there that night? Maybe, Cheryl, were you? A couple people there that night? That was our first sitting, so that was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, almost to the day that we had our first sitting. Just, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but it was 20 years ago. You know, the time goes by, the time goes by. You know, life is short. Life is short. You know, I was 20 years old when I sat down to meditate for the first time in that dorm room, 35 years old when I began this practice again, 42 when I started New York Insight. Now I'm, I'll be 63 in two weeks. This life is short. It goes by fast. This is something that as students of the Dharma, we're asked to come to understand and to reflect on and to understand through looking and seeing. So it's not an intellectual understanding, this truth of impermanence, this truth of uh, the brevity of life, this truth of the impermanence of the human body, this truth of death. It's something that we're asked to reflect on and to pay attention to and to come to know, not intellectually, but in the heart. All these teachings we're, we're asked to come to know in the heart. We're asked to come to know that all conditioned things are subject to change. All conditioned things are subject to birth. They take rise, they change, and then they pass. So all those conditioned things, all those pleasures of the world that I sought uh, were impermanent. They came, they passed, they went, they were gone. All the possessions that we have, all of our relationships will change and pass. 
This is the way of the world. And then, of course, this body, this body that we have, all these bodies. You know, we take birth, the body changes, it ages, and then it dies. This is the truth of the way things are. So in the Buddha's instructions for mindfulness, he asks that we see this, that we pay attention to this. This is one of the most important aspects of mindfulness. To look at our experience and to see its impermanent nature, to look at our experience externally, if it's uh, the people in our lives or the status and the praise that we're seeking or the pleasures or the possessions, and to see that they're they're impermanent nature, but also to look internally and to see that this body is subject to birth and death. It's laid out very specifically in his instructions on mindfulness. In the Buddha's instructions on mindfulness of the body, he asks us to look at the body as being comprised of the four elements of earth, water, fire, and wind. So the body is formed out of those elements. It takes this shape comprised of those four elements of earth, water, fire, and wind. It takes this shape. The shape kind of changes a little bit over time, and then those elements begin to return back to their original source. And we're asked to look and to see this. So we see it in the earth element. We see it in the earth element as we get older, right? Uh, The earth element are the parts of the body that are solid and heavy. And, you know, as we get a little older, we see, you know, it's a little harder to get up off of that meditation cushion, you know? It's a little harder to get up off of that chair or out of bed in the morning, you know, because the earth element, that element of the body is, is moving back down to its source in the earth. And then we see the, the liquid element is beginning to return back. The younger people are probably like, what's he talking about? You'll find out. You know, it's like, I never, I mean, I probably, in 20 years, I never went through one bottle of moisturizer. I go through like bottles every month of moisturizer because the skin dries out. The skin doesn't have that same moisture. The hands get crackly and dry as the water element begins to return back to its original sources. We see that, how the body begins to dry out. And the fire element in the body, the heat in the body begins little by slowly to pass back, right? So as you get a little older, we're more and more susceptible to the cold. You ever wonder why all the people who are like my age start moving to Florida, you know? Because you start to get cold more easily because the fire element in the body is diminishing and passing back to its natural sources. My friend Harry, dear friend of mine, used to say that uh, when he was a young man, the first thing he did when he got in his car was turn on the radio. As he got older, the first thing he did when he got in his car was turn on the heater. And then the wind element begins to fade, 
begins to fade. We're more easily winded, right? Going up that flight of stairs isn't quite what it was back in the day. I watched this really profoundly with my grandmother who died uh, in 2006 at the age of 100. And you know, she was really a remarkable person and was never really sick. And, and she really died of, of, of just old age. She died of old age. She never was really sick. Uh, after a while, it got, you know, as her earth element began to disintegrate and move back to the earth, it became harder for her to walk and to move. Uh, she had a wheeler, and then she was, you know, the last few months, she couldn't really get out of bed anymore. She was just dying. And, uh, and then uh, she stopped taking in any food. You know, so that's the heat element. You know, the food is what generates heat. And then little by slowly, she stopped taking in any water. You know, and basically she was just breathing. She was just breathing. And she had her nose hooked up to the oxygen. You know, and then she stopped breathing and she died. So this is the way that it is. This is what it means to be a human being. This is the truth of what it is to be a human being. All of us will pass on. All of us will die. My friend Ed died in 2009. The guy with the big afro at the age of 54. My dear friend Harry died about a year ago, 65. The person who was probably one of my dearest friends died <clears throat> about a year ago. He was in his 40s, actually. My father died in 1994. My mom died about two years ago. Very beloved person in my life. As many people who heard me give Dharma talks over the year when she was still alive know she was one of the main characters in my expositions. So this is a practice of insight, it's insight meditation, and in developing insight, we learn to understand the truth of impermanence, the truth of death, so that we can live our lives appropriately, so that we can live our lives appropriately. I mean, there's a reason why the Buddha says this is an important mindfulness, because as we come to this understanding of the truth of impermanence and the truth of death, it informs the way that we act, and it enables us to make wise decisions about what we're going to do in this life. The Buddha gives that teaching for a very specific reason, because he doesn't want us to suffer. People think, oh, That's a very hard teaching, the teaching on death. But the Buddha gives us that teaching so we don't suffer, so that we can make wise decisions in this life. You know, he asks us to ask, you know, given that sense pleasure and possessions and material things and status and praise are impermanent, do we want to spend our time in this life chasing after those things. I mean, that was what he had to decide, right? He was a prince. He had all those different pleasures and material things, all of the things that he could want. You know, and he began to question that, you know, given this time that I have, is this what I want to be doing in this life, chasing after 
these material pleasures. Given that this life is leading to death, given that this life is so short, how do we want to spend our time? How do we want to spend our time? The monks in this tradition, the Thai tradition, the Theravada tradition that insight meditation comes from, uh, one of their uh, most beloved reflections is the days and nights are passing endlessly. How are we spending our days? How are we spending our time? The days and nights are passing endlessly. How are we spending our time in this life? You know, the Buddha had all of those things, all of those material things. He had pretty much everything that you could possibly want in India at the time that he was living. Uh, and he began to question that. And then one day, and many of you, most of you probably know the story, he, you know, he was sheltered from understanding the truth of sickness, aging, and death, just like we tend to shelter ourselves and our culture tends to shelter ourselves from that understanding, that mindfulness. But finally, one day he went out into the world, much to his father's dismay, uh, and saw that, wow, there's sickness in this life. There's aging. He saw sick people. He saw people who were aging and he saw people who were dying and who died. And he realized that he was going to be just like them. And he began to ask, you know, given the fact that I'm going to die is the way I'm living, the way that I want to live. Is it fitting for me to be living the way that I'm living, given the truth of this life? And then he began to ask, you know, is there a happiness that's greater than the happiness that comes from these things that are conditioned? Is there a happiness that's greater that comes from these things that are, uh, that are going to pass, all these pleasures and possessions and things in the world? Is there a happiness greater than the happiness that comes from those things? And he asked, is there a happiness that transcends birth and death? Because ultimately that was his question. If I'm going to die, you know, because is there a meaning to this life? Is there a meaning to this life? Is there a meaning to this life given that the fact that we're going to die? Is there a happiness? Is there a way of life? Is there something that transcends, that lays beyond birth and death? These were the questions that he asked and that he asks us to ask. Now the Buddha found that there was. He found that there was a happiness, a greater happiness, and he found that there was a happiness and a way of life that transcended birth and death, that transcended dying. So there's a lot of different ways to think about what that is. One of the ways that he talked about a lot in terms of describing what that is, that way of living, uh, and uh, one of the ways that I think that's really good for us to think about that is that we find meaning in this life in our goodness. You know, we find meaning in this life in the goodness that's inside of us and the actions that we take in support of developing that goodness. You know, that's that goodness that I talked about that I remembered that was inside of myself when I finally sat down to meditate. And you know, ultimately, that's why we meditate, so that we remember our goodness. So 
So this is a good way to think about when we ask ourselves the question, what transcends birth and death? How can we find meaning in this life? We find meaning in this life through our goodness. We make the most of this life by developing our goodness. And what does that mean? Well, that means a lot of different things, uh, but the teachings of the Buddha describe specific things and specific ways of developing our goodness, beginning with developing generosity, becoming more generous, practicing generosity, that we have this capacity that's rooted in compassion to help others and to give to others. My mother had an extraordinary capacity for giving, helping others. Not just her five children, but also, you know, she was a school teacher. She taught uh, in, in, a, in a tough school district, you know, and was like a beloved teacher in that district, you know, and loved helping those children for many, many years. So we develop our goodness through the practice of our generosity and the practice of non-harming. You know, and very, from a very technical standpoint in the teachings, it's following the precepts of not to kill, not to steal, not to engage in illicit sex, not to speak harmfully, and not to take intoxicants that cause us to act heedlessly. We tend to think of those as sort of rules that are speaking to the things about us that deserve to be punished, but really they're practices that enable us to develop our goodness. Our capacity not to kill and not to steal and not to harm others is an important part of our inherent goodness. And in following those ways of living, we develop our goodness. The greatest way to develop our goodness, the Buddha said, was to train the mind and train the heart through practices like the practice of meditation. We develop our goodness so that we can learn to live in the heart, so that we can learn to know our goodness, so that we can learn to live in the heart and act from the heart, so that our heart shines in the world, so that our heart shines in the world, so that our goodness shines in this world. That's how we can bring meaning to our lives and to the lives of others. The Thais like to talk about polishing the heart, polishing the heart. It's a good way way that I like to think about my practice, polishing the heart, polishing the heart. Your goodness is what lives on after you go. Your goodness is what lives on after you leave this life. I had a very, very profound understanding of that after my mother died, you know. Again, some of you may know uh, the stories uh, that I had told about how difficult my mother was in her last years and many years of illness. Uh, For a large part of that, I was her primary caretaker. uh, And she could be really, really difficult as she got older, didn't have the kinds of skills that we have in terms of dealing with her illness. Uh, So those last number of years of of her life, 
were hard for her and for me and my brothers and my sisters and my family. And a lot of what I would talk about in teaching would be dealing with my own suffering uh, and the different kinds of emotional uh, uh, states that were arising for me and the different ways that I had to learn to act more skillfully with her. And then she died and I had this very, and I wasn't the only one, my brothers and sisters had the same experience that after she died, what was just there was her goodness. And that was all that we remembered really in those days after she died was her goodness and how much she helped us, you know? I mean, she really gave me everything that uh, has enabled me to be able to do what I've been able to do in my life so that my heart shines. And I was struck with this very strong feeling after she died of recognizing the example of the way she lived and being so in touch with her goodness that she left behind and thinking and knowing in my heart that I need to do better. I need to live my life more generously and more skillfully with more love and with more compassion. I need to do more in terms of cultivating this gift that I have inside of myself as a human being that's my goodness. See, that's a real gift that somebody leaves behind. This is what we have to leave behind. These are the gifts that we have to leave. So in our practice, we're asked to consider our priorities in this life. I always like to say, you know, it's not an either or thing. I always like to think about it as uh, gently shifting our priorities. So perhaps there's a little bit less emphasis on seeking after the happiness of the world, the pleasures of the world, the things of the world. There's a little less emphasis in looking for happiness in those things. Because after we go, where are those things going to be? Have they re- are they really going to have meant much to us, those things of the world? Are they really going to have meant that much to us? Where are they going to be? So perhaps shifting the emphasis from looking for happiness in the things of the world to putting more time into developing our goodness, putting more time into polishing the heart. Because it's our goodness that we leave behind. It's the gift that we have to give. It's what brings meaning to this life. So let's just close our eyes for a second. <clears throat> 